Welcome in once again to the Talking Tide podcast. I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, along with Travis Ryer, the longtime senior analyst at BamaOnline.com, and also the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can find at 100.9 on your FM radio dial in Tuscaloosa weekdays, 11 to noon. Of course, the Talking Tide podcast available to you first and foremost at our web host at podbean.com. Also, various platforms, uh, including iTunes, Google Play, and, and Stitcher. You can find the uh, Talking Tide podcasts on Twitter at Talking underscore Tide. And we dive right into uh, a preview of this Alabama Notre Dame game, a college football playoff semifinal. We're going to thank our fine sponsors, Heat Pizza Bar, Southern Ale House, and North River Dental Associates a little bit later in the program. But, Travis, we jump in with a preview now of number one versus number four in the seedings. Uh, your reset here, it's going to be a 3 p.m. Central Time kickoff, of course, on Friday. The broadcast on ESPN and the site, AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Let's start with that, Travis. Only in 2020 are we playing the Rose Bowl in Texas, right? Uh, it's so inappropriate that it just seems absolutely appropriate in 2020 that we would play a Rose Bowl in the state of Texas. Yellow Roses, I guess, out in the state of Texas, right? So uh, maybe that'll be more the look there at uh, at Jerry World on Friday afternoon. But, uh, you know, a matchup once again that we saw, what, I guess eight years ago, you and I sitting side by side down there. Yes, was it Pro Player Stadium at the time? I don't think it was Hard Rock. When Alabama took apart yeah. the Irish down there in January of 2013. So, uh, go ahead. I believe it was Pro Player, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and that was a complete dismantling, that game. Uh, funny, crazy thing from that game. Long, just unbelievable memory for me. My my son actually won a pair of tickets to that game online in some kind of nutty contest. and. Uh, handed his handed the tickets to uh, my wife and my youngest daughter. So he won the tickets and then gave them up. They got to come down and and uh, watch a national title game. Heck of a heck of a night for them. Yeah, back when back when uh, crowds were a thing in college football, right? Pre twenty twenty. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get into the matchups. But I think the big question, sort of the narrative this week and going into this game, has been exactly how different. How better equipped is Notre Dame football in 2020 to deal with the juggernaut that is Alabama football than it was eight years ago? It is, and, and Notre Dame's had a, a heck of a season, but uh, the man out in Vegas isn't giving him a lot of respect in this game, Travis, and we've seen no, no. Alabama favored by big numbers throughout the regular season. Uh, maybe this number a little smaller than most of the ones we've seen throughout the year, but Alabama favored by 20 points in some places up to 21 and a half, I think is the highest number uh, I've seen, which of course is awfully fat for a college football playoff game. Although I've done a little math, Travis, on the history of college football playoff semifinals. Yeah, not close, and, right? No, no. The the three and the four seed in the history of the CFP semifinals, uh, they're four and eight. And of those eight losses, I believe all eight have been by double digits, and most of those eight have been by huge numbers. So uh, blowouts not at all uncommon at this level of the playoff. 
And I guess of those four wins, Alabama had two of them, right? 2017 kind of snuck in there uh, after uh, as the second SEC team that season went on to win the national championship. But yeah, that seems to be sort of the, the, the way it's gone uh, in in semifinal action for sure in in terms of uh, games not being especially competitive. Uh, 21 and a half, by the way, you know, we talk about those rusty hooks, Travis, I'm going to tell you something, some rooks, (laughs) some hooks, that half point hook, some of those hooks are rustier than others. And I'm going to tell you where the rustiest ones are. The Mm -hmm. rustiest hooks are the ones that come after numbers like 17 and 21 (laughs) and 14, seven, (laughs) 10. Yeah. Yes. Those yeah, get we, extra rusty. Yeah, we talk about vaccinations a lot, unfortunately, these days. They still haven't come up with a tetanus shot that can fix that kind of rusty hook, you know, once uh, it gets you. That barb, the barb on that hook, you know, not much that can help you. 21 and a half is a lot. Yeah, uh, more, certainly, it's a lot. Certainly more than I would give. Uh, over under 65 and a half. What are your thoughts on that number? I probably would go, I'd feel better actually about the under. Um, then I would, uh, you know, the points either way, you know, either laying them or, uh, with Alabama or taking them with Notre Dame. I, I, I got a feeling this game might go under, uh, 65, 65 and a half. I, 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 I wouldn't feel probably great about either one of them, but if I had to lean, lean one way, I'd probably, well, my prediction for the game, it's 60 total. So I guess that tells you where I'm at. Notre Dame certainly wants it to come in under. I don't think there's any question about that. And I expect Notre Dame to come in and try to shorten this thing, Travis, try to limit total possessions, obviously take care of the football. That goes without saying. But I think they're going to lean on that running game as much as they possibly can early. Uh, Ian Book is uh, a capable quarterback. He's had an excellent year. He's much improved this year than last, in my opinion which is impressive because in 2020, lots of good players aren't any better than they were a year ago because there was no spring practice, you know, and and, and so much of the calendar just kind of got blown up. Uh, a lot of guys, not a ton of guys in college football uh, developed a great deal, in my opinion, from 19 to 20. Ian Book's one of them. Uh, but I, I think Notre Dame is, is going to try to take that running game and uh, with Kyron Williams and, and lean on it as much as they can. Look, nobody – has successfully committed to a running game all year against Alabama and and done well with it, right? You go back and look at uh, what Georgia did on the ground. They kind of stuck with the running game. They ended up 30 for 145 on the ground. Uh, not bad. Auburn ran the ball 42 times, but they only had 120 yards. So I, I, I think Notre, I, I'm not sure Alabama's run defense has been – frankly challenged quite the way Notre Dame can do it. They've got a veteran offensive line, outstanding left tackle and, and Liam Eikenberg. And, and uh, I, I expect uh, Brian Kelly to, to pound that thing early. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a base defense game. You would think for as long as Notre Dame can keep it that way offensively. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame wants to get in 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, uh, and they have exceptional depth at the tight end position, especially in true freshman Michael Mayer when it comes to catching the football. He's been outstanding this year as a rookie for the Irish. And, uh, 
You know, th- this is a team that that will will again base personnel for the Alabama defense. Uh, that means that three four look. That means uh, you know Christopher Allen, Will Anderson in there together at the outside linebacker positions. Uh, obviously Moses, and you expect Christian Harris there inside. Uh, but a big night needed from a guy like DJ Dale on the point of the football. Uh, you've got to do the things. Uh, in terms of the point and also on the edges with setting edges against this Notre Dame run game. And then you'll see book play action off of that and then hit you with the tight ends. Uh, I'd say Notre Dame, we continue to make those comparisons between this team and the one eight years ago, actually a little more explosive than that team years ago. Um, But no doubt about it. The identity as you outlined for us there for Notre Dame on offense is that run game is Kyron Williams. And then Ian book, can also use those legs in some different ways and extending plays is certainly among them. You know, Notre Dame wants to win time of possession. There, there's not as many teams these days that time of possession is all that important to. I mean, there was a time when we would have said that, you know, time of possession will always be important to Alabama because of the way Alabama was built even 10 years ago, you know, as a football team, defense, kicking game, control the ball, run it, you know, capitalize on red zone opportunities, convert some third downs, hit a couple of explosives. Well, that's not this Alabama, but Notre Dame is still one of those teams that time of import, time of possession can be important. And in the loss to Clemson a couple Saturdays ago, uh, Notre Dame actually held on to the football, got the start to the game that they wanted, Chase, held on to the football for 11 minutes of the first quarter, had a couple of opportunities to put points on the board, did it with a long field goal, then had a red zone opportunity, missed a chip shot field goal, and from that point forward, it was out the window and Clemson dominated. So, you know, the, the problem for Notre Dame, I think, offensively, is that it has to it has to be able to dictate the kind of game it absolutely wants, whereas Alabama offensively, look, they can get into some base personnel on offense themselves with two tight ends and run it. Uh, but then, as we know, the explosive plays uh, are where Alabama can absolutely devastate you. And Alabama in the red zone, converting at nearly 80% of its opportunities for touchdowns. Notre Dame under 60%. So, you know, offensively, I think it has to go exactly the way Notre Dame would like it to. As you said, hold on to the football. But when they get opportunities in the red zone, they better convert touchdowns because, if you're not scoring touchdowns against this Alabama team, time of possession ain't going to mean a whole lot. No, no. Field goals have never been cheaper, have no. they? No, no. I mean, yeah. I mean, it might as well be a single instead of three, you know, the way a lot of teams look at it these days, Alabama included in that. Yeah, yeah no doubt about it. Uh, uh, some thoughts uh, elsewhere around the field for this matchup uh, about that Notre Dame defense, Travis, a, a, an active group, an athletic group, probably kind of undersized on the defensive line. Uh, you know, the Ugandiji kid, Adi Ugandiji, 6'4", 270, Isaiah Foskey, 6'4", 255. Those are the two primary sack guys uh, for the Fighting Irish. Reminds you a little bit of, of the uh, going back to 2013 again when Alabama won it all against Notre Dame and Miami. Uh, that defensive front was a little undersized, too. They were, and they do a lot, lot of different type of things, but what they really like to do is stay in that base 4-3, 
watching them against Clemson again a couple weeks ago, I thought it was very interesting, Chase, uh, to see Notre Dame even against Clemson's three wide receiver sets and with Amari Rogers in the slot, right? This is a guy that you would think if Clemson is in 11 personnel with a tight end and three wide receivers, you're going to be a nickel. But on early downs anyway, Notre Dame would 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 walk a linebacker, an outside linebacker out there into the slot. Now, what they tried to do was basically play zone, uh, you know, if it was a pass play against that and put a safety over the top of Amari Rogers. But, you know, th- they won't automatically go to nickel, especially on early downs if Alabama's in three wide. So how Alabama chooses to go against that, you would think, uh, would involve throwing the football, but you know Notre Dame's not going to give you man coverage a lot of times in those situations. So it's going to be imperative that once again Mac Jones remain patient in those situations. Take some underneath stuff. Take the corner route against stuff like that. Take the uh, out and the hitch and things like that, and not try to force things on early down throws. Uh, and and what you'll see with Notre Dame in the back end when they do go to nickel uh, is that you'll see Sean Crawford go from safety to slot corner and Amari in the Clemson game. They, they got that matchup and Crawford is a guy who's had multiple injuries throughout his career. And, you know, he's just not a guy you want running with or trying to run with a guy like Amari Rogers. And so after seeing that, you know, if they get Alabama gets Notre Dame and some nickel looks with Crawford in that star type role coming down from safety, I would think you'd probably see Steve Sarkeesian try to work maybe Devontae Smith inside against mm-hmm. that and get that same type of matchup on some of those switch concepts uh, where you get a guy on the outside running pretty free. Running free and and running deep. We, you know, you see now that slot, the slot guy. The slot guy used to be just a short route, third down kind of guy, and therefore the slot corner used to be, you know, Vinny could, a guy like Vinny Sutton. It was a position. It, right? it was a yeah. yeah, a possession. It was a possession play is what now it was, guy, a slot right. against a, a third corner. I mean, that's yeah. what it was. And these and offensive coordinators woke up. Scene. Yeah, they're getting their best receiver inside against these converted safeties or hybrid corner safeties, and, you know, they're hitting the big plays. So – yeah, I think Notre Dame's front seven, you know, you, you can feel like that's a legitimate challenge to Alabama. But Notre Dame's had some issues in terms of depth at corner. Uh, and, and then also, uh, Hamilton is a, a really nice safety, and Crawford is serviceable uh, at the safety position. But if you get Notre Dame going to their sub-package personnel on the back end, you can get some really favorable matchups back there. No doubt. Uh, Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams, who we touched on a little bit earlier in the podcast, Travis, he was uh, widely praised after Notre Dame's biggest win of the season against Clemson earlier this year for his pass pro uh, and keeping Ian Book clean to make some of the throws he made. How critical will it be for him to show up again against that fifth pass rusher when uh, Golding decides to send an extra man? Yeah, I mean, that's that's where there are similarities between Notre Dame offensively and Alabama offensively. And, you know, with Lance Taylor, the former Alabama wide receiver, working with those running backs at Notre Dame and the experience 
he has in Tuscaloosa going through the ranks. He, you know, he gets it and, and yeah. understands the importance of pass protection after, uh, again, where he comes from, his coaching DNA. Uh, but it, it would seem to be big. Um, you know, I, I think Alabama is going to feel good enough. How do you approach Ian Book, though, with the pass rush? Do you must rush him more, make him stay in the cup, make him show that, you know, you can drop some guys into coverage and he can come off of his primary guy if he needs to and get to that second or third guy like a Kyle Trask can do, at least when Trask has a full complement of those playmakers to work with at Florida? Um, do you get after Ian Book? I guess you would mix it up some. But I think the luxury Alabama has uh, when we talk about pass rush in general on Friday, Chase, is that Notre Dame really outside doesn't have anyone that's going to discourage Nick Saban and Pete Golding from just looking to Patrick Sertan II and Josh Oban saying, all right, man, these guys up. Right. And then we can commit an extra guy to Ian Book in passing situations where he likes to defer to his legs uh, a, a lot of times. And, and, and that's where – that's where the extra guy, I think, Chase, could show up. Whether you choose to get after Ian Book in the pass rush or maybe or you just him. have a guy spy him a little bit. I don't know. How do you get after his ass? That's what, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what I'd be. I've never been big on everybody. The- every, everybody blitz on one. Everybody blitz on one. Ready to break. <laughs> hey, look, I've never been big on uh, the the – discipline stay in your lane pass rush i've never been uh-huh. a spy guy either look if you if it's lamar jackson or somebody then yeah go ahead and spy him with somebody even house if, blitz yeah right i i i like uh i like getting after him you know and and you know maybe if you're gonna have that approach for the defensive line then maybe you ought to have a spy behind him right yeah um, here's but, the it, you know where it gets interesting if you're notre dame too is do you keep guys in to help protect you know, it's a little bit of a conundrum for Notre Dame because they want to get the tight end in the back out into the routes a lot yeah. of times. I mean, the, the tight end and running back positions, this is a tight end running back centric offense. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then book being sort of the point man in all of it. So, you know, if you're Notre Dame, I'm, I'm guessing you've got a screen game. But if, if you're Alabama uh, and that offensive line is able to protect, given the the pedigree and the the quality that we think Notre Dame has up front, uh, that that may be the most interesting aspect of the Notre Dame offense against the Alabama defense on Friday afternoon. How does Alabama go about pressuring Ian Book if they don't show they can get there with four? You know, do they start bringing the extra guy? Do they make Book just stand in there and try to beat him from the pocket? Uh, I'll be I'll be very interested to see how that plays out. Nice to throw to those tight ends. Mayer's outstanding, just a freshman, yeah. but he's caught 35 balls this year. He's definitely a dangerous guy. You're right, they don't have the burners on the outside, so I think Sertan and Jobin, you know, locking things up and, and man is definitely what we'll see from the Alabama defense. But, yeah, they, they got to figure out how to kind of disseminate uh, what ought to be an extra guy uh, defensively to uh, either get after a book or – or uh, or not, maybe maybe do something else. You know, maybe maybe you're giving extra attention to one of those tight ends. Look, he's he's gonna be looking for those big guys. I I, I think, and and like you said, the backs too. 
um, moving the chains. He's an athletic guy. He can definitely hurt you with his legs. Uh, he hurt Clemson with his legs when, when, when Notre Dame uh, beat the Tigers earlier this season. He makes better decisions, quicker decisions this year than he did a year ago. But I don't think he's quite explosive enough as a runner, in my yeah. opinion, that you got to be scared to death of him. Yeah, so I, yeah a lot of folks have asked me about comparing maybe Texas A&M and, and Notre Dame really as football teams in general, but maybe more so offensively with the skill sets of Ian Book and Kellen Mond. And, um, you know, the, the, the difference, I think, is that whereas Kyron Williams is a really, really good back, he doesn't have an Anaya Smith to go with him like you have at A&M right now with Isaiah Spiller. Anania Smith, kind of a a Tony type or an all-purpose guy. You can you know you can put Anaya Smith anywhere. You can put him in the backfield, put him in the slot, do different things with him. And then you still have Jalen Weidermeyer at the tight end position, much like Notre Dame has Michael Mayer at tight end. And uh there's no doubt about it. I mean, with what teams have put on field film against Alabama from the tight ends, I mean, whether you talk about Weidermeyer of A&M, whether you talk about Kenny Yeboah of, of Ole Miss, Kyle Pitts of Florida. Now, you know, some of these guys like Pitts and Yeboah, they're not used in a similar fashion like a mayor is for Notre Dame, more of a traditional approach, more along the lines of what A&M does with Weidermeyer. Now, Mayer, he can, he can flex out. He can do some of those things in space. That's not to say he can't. It's just the, the way Notre Dame goes about it. Uh, as an offense in general, uh, a little bit different than, say, Ole Miss and uh, even Florida. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. We're going to thank our sponsors right now. We're going to do it uh, beginning with North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley. Uh, I got my next appointment for a routine cleaning over at Dr. Jack's on Monday. I got the text today. They can set you up with email reminders twice a year, text reminders twice a year. So you're not going to get bombarded or anything, uh, but you just give them that email address, give them that phone number. And, uh, you know, of course you lose that, that little, that little business card with the date on it, you know, that you walk out with when you, uh, when you're six months between cleanings. But I got my text today. Hey, don't forget, pop in here on Monday. You're scheduled for uh, this time, and uh, uh, it'll be a quick and easy experience like it always is over at North River Dental Associates. Routine cleanings like I've got coming up on Monday, you're going to be in and out of there in under an hour typically. Uh, you can make an appointment online at northriverdentist.com or you can give them a call at 752-3506. They're easy to find right off of McFarland Boulevard. You make that easy right turn as you're headed toward Northport onto Watermelon Road and they're right there at Fairfax Park next to West Alabama Pediatrics, and they can do every kind of dental work under the sun, the porcelain veneers, the pediatric dentistry for the kids, the laser dentistry, the popular teeth whitening services, endodontics, dentures, dental implants. It's all done right there at Dr. Jack Smalley's North River Dental Associates. Speaking of the theme of quick, easy, and making your mouth feel good, I'm going to give you a couple options here. First, we'll start with Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. 
You know what they had at Southern Ale House as one of the specials on Wednesday? They had that country fried steak, man. Absolutely great stuff. Grandmama good Southern country fried steak. You know what I'm talking about if you've ever had Grandmama good country fried steak. They had that for you at Southern Ale House on Wednesday. Had that chicken steak gravy oof, on a nice bed of mashed potatoes there. Also, of course, they do the Tuesday craft burgers and brews on Tuesdays. They had the pimento cheeseburger, the fried egg, bur- fried egg burger, and the quesadilla burger on Tuesday of this week. Any day of the week, they're going to take great care of you there at Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Now, our great friends downtown. Downtown Tuscaloosa, where you'll find Heat Pizza Bar at Government Plaza. They took a little bit of a break, a little bit of an opportunity around the Christmas holiday to rest, recharge, get ready for the start of what we hope to be a far improved 2021. Well, they're back in action on uh, Thursday of this week. They're going to go ahead and get you ready. Actually, yeah, Thursday, they will get you uh, on New Year's Eve set for a new year. Uh, Starting at 4 o'clock on New Year's Eve, going to be open once again there at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa in Government Plaza. And then, of course, on game day Friday, going to open at 2 o'clock, get you ready for that 3 o'clock or so kickoff between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They're back and ready for 2021. Never been better. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. All right, the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Travis, you and I are going to chat about that other semifinal here for a few minutes. We'll touch on a season opening, an SEC opening victory for the men's basketball team for a couple of minutes as well. But, of course, first, Ohio State Clemson. That thing's going to be kicking off right after the Alabama-Notre Dame game, the two-versus-three game uh, in the Sugar Bowl Travis, your thoughts on this one? I think a lot of people, I'm not sure, haven't seen the spread in the last day or two. Clemson, obviously, the favorite over the Buckeyes. How do you see that one playing out? Yeah, a little newsy here in the last 24 hours or so from the Clemson camp is Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator and running backs coach for the Clemson Tigers, out due to a positive COVID-19 test. So, That certainly added to the storylines down there in New Orleans. It helps, though, that you have a quarterback who has made 30-plus starts now, I guess, in his career in Trevor Lawrence. So that should help mitigate, minimize the absence of Tony Elliott as the offensive coordinator. You know, there's going to be so much attention on both these quarterbacks uh, with Justin Fields and uh, obviously Lawrence and kind of they're pro prospects, something that I know you're certainly tuned into and uh, what you do with the NFL uh, network, NFL.com. Um, yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to scrutinize every throw, aren't we? I mean, that's what we're going to do in this game. But you know what I think it could come down to at that position for both these teams? The legs. The legs of both Fields and Lawrence. And when I watch Clemson, Clemson to me right now, is the scarier of the two teams because what I saw from Clemson against Notre Dame and Charlotte was that unlike a year ago, as we've talked about on previous pods, where I felt like Clemson left some money on the table 
against LSU in New Orleans by not utilizing Lawrence's legs enough. I don't get the sense the Tigers are going to do that this time around. I think it's going to be a a game in this one, and and I'm thinking Clemson's going to win, and I'm thinking Alabama's going to win. So we're going to get Alabama Clemson one more time, uh, and, and I think I think Ohio State is going to get the full Trevor Lawrence, and that means the legs. And I think Alabama can expect it too, assuming that the Crimson Tide sees Clemson once again in the CFP National Championship game. But I like Clemson. I think I like Clemson by more than the, what, six and a half that they're favored yeah. going into this game? Uh, like, what about you, Chase? How do you see it? I like, yeah, I like Clemson by more than that as well. I think offensively they just kind of end up, end up overwhelming things. I, I do think Ohio State, um, I think they can give them a game but I don't know if Ohio State's offense can keep up, much like I don't know that Notre Dame's can keep up with Alabama. At the end of the day, uh, Ohio State doesn't want to track meet any more than Notre Dame does. And especially if you, if you watch the way Ohio State had to beat Northwestern in the Big Ten title game, they better hope that's not how they have to beat Clemson. They need Justin Fields to make throws downfield, big throws. Uh, he's not going to match Trevor Lawrence throw for throw necessarily. He may not have to, to keep the game close for four quarters, uh, but he's got to show up and, and burn Clemson here and there uh, with enough explosive plays to keep things close. And, you know, it, it, scouts are down. You're at, you're talking about the NFL scouts are kind of down on what they've seen from fields uh, this season in terms of throwing the football, heck of an athlete. Like you said, if both quarterbacks decide to show off their legs and, and run, then uh, Fields certainly can match Lawrence step for step as a, as a running threat. Um, but as a passer, uh, they, they want to see more. There's no doubt about it from Justin Fields. Uh, didn't throw the ball particularly well at all against Northwestern. Of course, I, I think he had – a thumb issue on his throwing hand, which is which is no joke if you're a quarterback. Uh, granted, uh, but uh, yeah, they they what are they saying? Golf, Travis, you drive for show and you putt for dough. Well, if you're Justin yeah. Fields in this game, um, you run for show, but you're throwing for dough. <laughs> and, and the and the wild card for Ohio State has to be Trey Sermon, right? After that performance against Northwestern, going to see a little more talent uh, in this one from the Clemson defense than he saw from the boys in Evanston from Evanston. But uh, yeah, I, I look at these quarterback running back combos too, Chase, in terms of uh, just scrimmage yards, you know, in general. And, you know, for Clemson against Notre Dame and Charlotte, you're talking about 24 combined carries for 214 rushing yards and two touchdowns from Etienne and Lawrence. You know, I mean, when they're doing that, to go along with Amari Rogers going for 121 and a touchdown, uh, and then they get enough from their complimentary receivers. Uh, that's a tough Clemson team to deal with, and uh, you know they went eight of 14 on third downs in that game against Notre Dame. That's Notre Dame defense that's been pretty good in getting getting offenses off the field. Um, you know that that's that's the formula for Clemson once again, and if they do something similar to that. Yeah, I, I think it'll be a little bit more than six and a half. What about Ryan Day at the press conference on Monday saying, gosh, Brent Venable seems to know everybody's plays. I just don't know how he does it. <laughs> Got that Houston Astros system, you know. He's over there yeah. with that garbage can beating on it, you know, pre-snap. 
Yeah. You know, you know, the boys, the boys in the media love to dust off that that Clemson sign stealing story. Oh. They got the you, think, you, you think Justin Fields will have that wristband on? You know, <laughs> I think you'll have it on Friday night. Yeah. So. Yeah. You better have a plan, those anonymous <laughs> ACC coaches. Say. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. Brent jumped that uh, jumped that hitch that Tua threw out in Santa Clara pretty good there in the first quarter of that one a couple of years ago, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> See, that, did. yeah, it was amazing how it looked like Clemson knew what was coming <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Talking Tide podcast moving on for just a couple more minutes here. Travis will touch on the Alabama basketball victory over the Ole Miss Rebels. Pretty handy win for the Crimson Tide at home, 82-64, to 64, the final score. That's Alabama's uh, SEC opener. They moved to 6-3 and three on the season. Ole Miss falling to 5-2 and two and 0-1. Oh and on the year and uh alabama looked pretty good in this one travis they they win the uh the first half by nine they win the second half by nine javon quinterly the big scorer he ends up with uh 24 points uh, on the other side of things uh herb jones uh five thousand ten minutes that's a yeah quick night for him but quinterly was on fire he was and usually when you get 54 54- points from your bench you're probably gonna do pretty good when you outscore your opponent 54 to 19 from the bench uh that tends to to bode well for your chances of winning now look you know Alabama brought Quinterly off the bench against Ole Miss brought John Petty off the bench against uh Ole Miss got 10 points from Alex Reese off the bench so that's where a lot of that came from 13 from Petty uh you're right though Herb Jones picked up two fouls in the first 40 seconds of the game, you know? So you, you figured very quickly, uh, it wasn't going to be a night where you were getting lengthy stretches of herb. I thought it was Jermichael green out there. He got those first two fouls so fast. As as sort of that rudder that you need for that, that team, but, uh, credit the other folks for picking up the slack and, you know, again, Alabama north of 10 made threes in the game. The percentage wasn't great, but made 12. Free throws weren't great, but, uh, you know, second chance points were better, uh, 18 to 9. And again, you know, with what you were bringing off the bench, you anticipated an advantage there, uh, and they exactly got that. And, you know, a pretty nice job defensively, too. I mean, Devontae Shuler, you know, you hold a guy like that to, to eight points and 0 of 5 from the field in the second half and you know you're going to have a pretty good chance of beating this old miss team up next for the crimson tide basketball team they're going to be on the road at tennessee on saturday 5 p.m uh central time tip off there it'll be broadcast on espn2 so if you've got a cfp hangover on saturday you can uh shake it off with uh, alabama tennessee basketball i guess going on over in Knoxville. That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast for Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and Southern Fried Sports Radio. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. Be sure to join us this weekend for the Sunday Nighter uh, when we take a look back at Alabama's performance against the Fighting Irish in the CFP semifinal. Until then, we'll talk to you next time on Talking Tide.